welcome to the Pool Pro Podcast, episode number three. We have the germ guy. Do you have the bug? If you want to know, you better listen on while microbiologist Roy Vore from Biolab talks about germs. Listen up. Welcome back to the Pool Pro Podcast. I'm Dave Rockwell. I'm here with my partner, Michelle Cavanaugh. Thank you, Michelle. And we're here today with Roy Vore. He is the germ guy. He works for Biolab. And uh, it seems like uh, with what's going on in the news today, we're going to have a lot to talk about. Roy, can you <laughs> maybe start yes. out by just giving us a little of your background and, and uh, how long you've been in the industry, how you got here? Okay. Well, uh, thank you guys for inviting me to participate in this. It's uh, Sorry I wasn't out at the Western Show, but uh, I'm glad I kind of stayed in Atlanta because I think I'd still be out at the Western Show if I would have <laughs> You would week. be. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad to be working from home this week like many of us are. But uh, yeah, my PhD is in uh, bacterial physiology. I started with the Bacquacil business back in 1991. Uh, so, uh, I've been in pools and spas and doing the microbiology for almost 30 years now. Uh, and, uh, a few years ago, a little organization, some of us remember called the National Swimming Pool Foundation. I remember. To, yeah. I'm sure you remember that, Michelle. Uh, a guy by the name of Tom Lachaki got tired of me doing all the seminars and told me to shut up and just write the book. Uh, and so I wrote the Recreational Water Illness Manual that some of you have seen before. Uh, and uh, so that was uh, about a year and a half out of my life. And then just before that, I spent about three years writing the basis of the disinfection water quality portion for the Model Aquatic Health Code. Uh, currently at Biolab, I'd say I spend about 50% of my time in the lab killing E. coli and pseudomonas and all the other little nasty germs. And I think next week I've got a date with a whole bunch of mustard algae. Uh, they're going to have less fun than I'm going to have in the lab. I'm going to tell you <laughs> that right now. But uh, so I've spent the last 30 years working on disinfection, uh, killing germs, uh, and uh, recently a whole bunch of stuff on disinfecting hard surfaces kind of right up the line that we might be needing to talk about with uh, our new coronavirus going around. I think that's been a neglected uh, uh, area around pool service. We were so focused on the water, but uh, germs can pass above the water too. Yeah, the primarily one that, the one that we worry about above the water is Legionella out of spies. Uh, and I mean, we just had a big outbreak of that uh, in North Carolina last fall. Uh, they had a display spa that looks like they forgot to disinfect, and we had several fatalities that were linked back to that spa. So, yes, we can pass things around it. But the good news is uh, the, uh, the new virus going around, formally called SARS-CoV-2, uh, is not spread in pools and spas. So we should worry about other things around in the water, not this particular virus. Right. So when you see the spring break photos of the kids uh, cheek to cheek lined up, sitting on the coping all the way around the pool, their, their danger for that is, is above the water in their conversation area, not below the water. 
Right. I mean, it, well, they, they got two issues in, in there. One of them is uh, because they are uh, cheek to jowl in there, uh, they are likely to be spreading the virus. And, you know, I mean, the pictures this week on the news of the beaches and uh, uh, all up and down the East Coast, the Delaware beaches, the uh, Florida beaches, the Texas beaches, when those kids come back from college, they're going to be bringing the virus back. Uh, but the other, vir- the other issue that they really had this summer is uh, on spring break, how many of those kids were jumping into the pool or the spa and, you know, I mean, uh, we've all seen the pictures. Can you really put 25 people into a 700-gallon hotel spa? Well, they're going to find out. Uh, yeah. I'm and, thinking and, COVID is not the worst thing they have to worry about. Uh, no, the worst thing they got to worry about is that hotel getting that chlorine in there so they don't end up with pseudomonas infections, be, you know, two days later when the pseudomonas goes crazy because they put 25 people in a 200 or 700 gallon spa. Of right. course, they also inoculated it with a couple of quarts of Jack Daniels, but. You know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. And Roy, you and I have known each other for quite some time. You mentioned, you know, NSPF and the World Aquatic Health Conference specifically is where I was first introduced to you because Tom at the time developed that conference to bring in researchers and people that, um, could talk, you know, at a high level on many subjects, and you were certainly one of those. Um, you've, you know, blown up since then, and I, I don't know, remember, I don't remember seeing you prior to that, but that's only because I had a limited group of people that I was dealing with. How do you feel like our ability to kind of get this information out uh, at a higher level? I think it, it really blew up here, what do you think, eight, eight years ago, maybe, something like that, where you're, you're, you've been out talking about these subjects all over the place, including the Western show. What do you think when you talk to people? Do you feel like it's sinking in? Do you feel like people are getting it? How do you feel the industry is doing in regards to RWIs and, and the spread of disease yeah. in water? Well, I started working with uh, with Tom Lachaki back in 1996. We were both oh, okay. on the, at that time of the uh, uh, National Swimming Pool, uh, the National Pool and Spa Institute, NSPI, Recreational Water Quality Committee. So we were working on that since about 96. So before he went to NSPF. Right. And back, oh, I want to say 98, uh, 99, somewhere in that range, uh, probably 98, uh, Tom had organized the first symposia uh, at the international show, uh, technical symposia. And he had me talking on uh, uh, germs and good uh, growth stuff in there. And... <laughs> I was about the only person that actually was talking about diseases there. There was one talk that was talking on algae, and I realized half that talk was actually talking on kelp instead of on pool algae. Uh, But that was 20-some years ago. And now you go to any one of our shows, and you can find multiple talks on uh, disease management. And that's the way we need to think about it. It's not elimination, but management. We, We used to try to, maybe 30 years ago, we were playing ostrich. We buried the subject. We didn't want to talk about it. We thought it was going to be a commercial liability. But over the last 20 years, it's become an open topic. And now we readily discuss it. And so, you know, a podcast like this, talking about, you know, a brand new virus that the world had never seen before, probably before maybe the 1st of November last year, we're getting the information out. Uh, We're still figuring out the best way to do it. But 
we're getting the information out. It's a different world than it was 20 years ago. So Roy, one of the things that it's been a kind of a recurring theme, we usually save it for later in the podcast, but I want to get it out there so you can really talk about it. Every, every guest I have, regardless of their stature or place in the pool industry, I ask them as they travel, uh, the, the people who go to shows to teach, people who uh, travel with their families that are in the industry, on a scale of zero, meaning no way, no how, and 10, meaning yes, yeah, sure, every chance I get, how likely are you, after dinner, throw on a bathing suit, go down to the hotel pool or spa, and uh, get in and enjoy it? Somewhere between a three and a four. Uh, and that's because after a long day of going to all these really exciting meetings that I get called <laughs> into, uh, then I get back up to the room, have dinner, and then realize I've got three hours of emails I got to do. But <laughs> conveniently, occasionally, I leave my cord at home and my computer goes dead. And then I will pull the test strips out of my briefcase, walk, put the bathing suit on, go down to the spa, test it, make sure that there's no standing foam so it doesn't look like a Guinness, if you know what I mean. Right. Yes. And, and if it looks good, if it tests good, and if it smells good, then I'll crawl in the spa and sit there for at least 30 or 40 minutes. Getting out every 15 minutes, of course, to get the timer. That's the best answer we've gotten. That is the best answer we've had. We haven't had a lot of these to. answers yet, but I'm telling well, you what. Okay, if the germ yeah. guy can do it, the rest of us can do it. Yeah, and that, that's it. All right, so I'm the germ guy. I mean, I mean, I work with things that would make a buzzard puke. <laughs> All right. yeah. And if I test the spa and it comes in good, if it looks good, if it smells good, if it doesn't have standing foam on it, I don't worry about getting in it. And I know an awful lot of people in the industry that are just scared to death of hotel spas. I yes. don't know why. I think they're just fearful without actually thinking about the risk. But we are in the, man, uh, the business of managing risk. And if we've tested the product, you know, and tested our product, and that is our water, and we're comfortable with it, get in it. I don't understand why people are not getting in it. They person, must not believe in their testing. Person after person that we've talked to has said, and, and they almost always say the same thing, I know too much. Um, but... That, and that's the question I, I asked them back is what does that say about us as an industry if we don't even if we're afraid of our own product? Well, then the question I'm going to come back and say, do you know too much or do you actually know too little about the germs? Right. Because if you've studied it, what are the two germs in spas? It's Pseudomonas and Legionella. And how do you kill both of them? It's called one ppm of free chlorine. I mean, that's it. You got one ppm. You don't have to worry about it. It's that simple. That's a great answer. That's the best answer we've gotten. We're going to post that everywhere. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, when I was at the Western show last year, uh, I had no idea how many times I hit that one PPM, a free chlorine line. I, they were almost singing along with that line by the time I got done with that seminar. <laughs> well, now the, there's the idea of one PPM, a free chlorine, but you were also involved in a, uh, a little uh, seminar last year at the national show about it was entitled the great CYA debate. Yep. And uh, so w 
um, we talked with Richard Falk recently, and uh, his his contention is that one part per million of chlorine is not a part per million in, in every pool. It's not always equal. It's based on the amount of CYA in the water. Uh, well, Richard has got a very, very complicated spreadsheet. And, you know, and I was part of that original task force on there, but uh, they started going in a direction that uh, I'm not very comfortable with, that they've got the science behind it. Uh, so, I mean, you can calculate the amount of uh, chlorine in there and you can do the spreadsheet. But, you know, taking it into the laboratory and confirming the data is entirely different than doing a mathematical model. And one of the guys I work with here at, at Biolab kind of looked at it a little bit differently because, you know, we've been, I mean, the CDC has been publishing disease outbreak information since about 1978, I believe. And it's all available online. And it's some of the most exciting literature that you could ever imagine that will put you straight to sleep. But, <laughs> but you know, when you look at that and, and you go back there and you look at all the disease outbreaks and, you know, I mean, we've got, you know, 30, 40 years of these data we do not see outbreaks when there's one ppm of free chlorine. So another way to look at it is we have been doing an experiment with what, 100, 160 million people per year for the last 40 years. And from that data from the CDC, our experimental data in the field says one ppm of free chlorine in the pool is not leading to outbreaks. So you can do a spreadsheet, but you need to take it to the real world and confirm it. And the real world data says, we do not have a problem, except with everybody's favorite germ, cryptosporidium. Right. And so uh, what does it take for cryptosporidium? Well, if you would like to kill cryptosporidium in two minutes, and that, you know, we hear that number thrown around all the time, and that's one of the original protocols from the USDA, even before the EPA, about how fast to kill a germ. If you want to kill cryptosporidium in a swimming pool, what you need to do is you need to drain all of the water out of it and fill the pool with your typical household bleach and swim in somewhere about 6% bleach, and that's going to kill crypto in about three minutes. So not going to do the want, bather much good though. Well, yeah, no, yeah, okay. But you wanted to kill crypto. You didn't say anything about the bather, Dave. I mean, so <laughs> you have to ask the right question. All right. Sorry. But if you want to protect the bather and keep them safe with, you know, I mean, uh, I used to be blonde, but uh, I mean, if you throw Michelle in one of these pools at 6%, you know, she's going to come out pretty well blonde. But uh, uh, if you want to actually protect the bather, you're not going to be able to do it with chlorine, period. Right. Uh, uh, you know, it takes 20 ppm, 12.75 hours to kill crypto. So you're going to have to come up with an alternate system in there. You have to use improved filtration. Uh, James Ambergy, you and Charlotte talks about it all the time, or you've got to put in a secondary disinfection system like an ozone or a UV system. And right now, there is no good chemical method. I mean, so you can use flocculants, but they're slow, you, uh, and they goes along with critical filtration. But ozone, 
uh, UV flocculants. Those are the only ways we've really got right now to manage cryptosporidium. And I do a lot with ozone on my pools. I, I'm a big fan of ozone, and, and I think I, I'd love to see it more widely used. Yeah, I mean, uh, we have been fixated on trying to solve every problem in the world with chlorine. And, you know, I mean, if you're working on your engine, on your car, you can't use one wrench on every single bolt. You might have to have more than one tool in your toolbox. And with Cryptosporidium, this is truly the case. There used to be a page on the CDC's website. I don't know if it's still there, but it was geared towards educating homeowners and users of commercial pools. And actually in, among the list of things that it encouraged them to do was to advocate for secondary uh, treatment systems like UV and ozone uh, to the owners of the uh, of commercial pools. I, I don't know if they're still encouraging that, but I think educating the, the users of these pools to ask for better quality is a step that needs to be taken to, to get an improvement. I've been saying that in all my training classes for at least 10 years now. Yeah. Uh, that you know, fundamentally, one of the things that I'm encouraging all, uh, all service guys to do, and I, I say this when I'm out at the Western show, it's like if you're running a commercial service route, at the beginning of your contract, offer UV or ozone, whatever you're familiar with, according to the Model Aquatic Health Code, to your client and you know, put it in writing, this is what I recommend. And if they decline it, have a little box down there on the bottom of the contract. I decline adding this on here. So then, then you've got a written record that you've offered it, but it was declined. That way, three months from now, if there's a birthday party and some kids got diarrhea and jumps in there and 10 days later, half the kids come down with cryptosporidium, you've got some legal uh, protection because you offered it and it was declined. Right. That's and a great recommendation, Dave. Yeah, um, that is. It's terrific. But that's where I think uh, there's uh, more education needed to the pool professionals, um, especially down in the residential and light commercial end. Most of us don't even know what the the Mac is. Uh, yeah, we we've heard it referred to. Uh, we haven't. We don't sit down and download it and read it and become familiar with it. And so I think that's got to get out to the to the pool professionals. That's that we need to talk about. Yeah, uh, not only just the Mac, but but all the general literature in there. We we've got to get we've got to do a little bit better job on educating some of these factors in here. And I think some of the conversations about whether we need a three log or a two log reduction were, were initially when we wrote that mod, uh, that portion of the, the Mac. And I was on that task force that wrote that back in 2009, 2010, if I recall, uh, in there. Uh, we worked on that portion for six months. Uh, and it looked like we had it right. But now some of the other data says maybe we don't need to be quite as rigorous. We, maybe we don't need as quite as expensive a system as we did, as we initially thought. And so I think some of the things that we're hearing from James Ambergy out of UNC Charlotte 
says that maybe a two log reduction instead of a three log reduction. I think there's a movement afoot to get the MAC to change that in there, to be more realistic on there, to provide a more economical, but still safe management system for our customers. One thing that I would really like to see addressed, and, and I've noticed it because I, I traveled a lot with my family over the course of the past couple of years, and we went to a lot of uh, hotel pools, we tried to use them. I want my kids to be able to enjoy them. But middle of a Saturday afternoon, the water's green. You can barely see the main drain. There's 15 people in the pool, and it's been out of chlorine for a long time. So a lot of it has to be addressed from the design aspect of these pools. The filtration, uh, these pools are underfiltered. They need a chemical automation system that can keep up with the demand. And too many of these pools are either dosed by hand or with just a roller chem on a timer. Um, they're, they're not able to adapt to the bather load. And the, the, these pools are never going to get caught because the health department only comes between Monday and Friday from 10 to 4. So the worst of the worst never, never get called on it. Yeah, and uh, you know, I gave a, a talk on this exact same so uh, topic at the Environment, uh, National Environmental Health Association last summer, and probably had 40 or 50 health inspectors from all over the United States in the room and gave an exact story about that at a hotel in Kansas City at a family reunion of mine about five or six years ago and talked about how Saturday night I was arguing with the front desk and they put me on the phone to the operator and he goes, well, I'll be in Monday. It'll be fine until then. Uh, and the health inspectors, every one of them nodded their head and they go, yep, that's a problem. But one of the bigger issues is really the, po the politics of that is we have to convince the hotel chains, for instance, that this is a serious issue. And the individual hotels are going to continue to do what, they could, uh, what they've done for the last 30 or 40 years until the management at these larger organizations, and we all know who the big chains are, comes out and says, you're going to do the same thing with your pool that you do with your food service. Right. And, and we have not gotten that point yet. We need to approach these big hotel organizations. And, you know, uh, a lot of them are franchised. And we need to go to those owners and say, you've got a legal liability issue. And yeah. if, you, if you say that, Roy, because I, I used to do that when I was NSPF back in the day, I was going to the big hotel chains and trying to talk to many of them said that they, they require all of their maintenance guys to be CPO certified, like the Hilton, I think, said that to me. Uh, but the problem is just going to get a two-day certification CPO, even though it's a great course, is not enough for them to be qualified to really, you know, that certification only shows that you pass an exam. Right. It doesn't show anything to your skill set or what you're able to accomplish. And unfortunately, which I find fascinating is most of the hotels see this just as an another an amenity. Right. But think about the amount of bad things that could happen in water versus like the gym or whatever else. And it's, it's amazing to me that they don't take it more seriously. Well, one, one of my favorite horror stories uh, about a hotel pool was it was actually a bromine pool and it was just about 20 years ago in in somewhere in Massachusetts and uh, it was one of those weekend events uh, and it was either a hockey tournament or a basketball tournament I don't remember all the details of it but the pool was foamy foamy and 
the kids were playing with foam and they were making beards on their, you know, on their faces <laughs> and things like that. And uh, that's horrible. And, and so, but you know, it was disinfection byproducts. So it was, you know, it was brominated organics in there and they're very irritating to the skin. And something like five of the parents had to take their kids to the emergency room somewhere around midnight because they were in so much pain from the itching. And they came back and they investigated it and the fire department came in, tested it and said, oh, you had too much bromine in your pool. It was never really investigated. It wasn't too much bromine. They were not oxidizing it. And we know that in, in this industry. But why did the, the hotel allow a pool that had a head on it, like a beer, even to open? That's the question. And it's just lack of, it's just lack of knowledge, Roy, as you, as you said. Well, yeah, the hard and, part of all this is with the communication side of it is, Nobody has a list that has every single hotel on it or every single homeowner with a pool on it or every single motel or apartment complex. Nobody has a list that has that. Right. So to be able to disseminate the information, you'd have to get the cooperation of every single person in the industry who has any kind of list and disseminate and probably still drop off flyers and, and all that kind of stuff. It takes, it takes the entire industry to work together as a team. Absolutely. The other, the other alternative, though, is, is that if the hotel owners are not willing to fix it and we can as an industry get together and help them, it's going to get legislated. And then you've got people that have no knowledge of, of the, the science of what they're doing, writing laws. And, and uh, it, it would be so yeah. much better for people who know what they're doing to, to work together and solve this problem without it having to come to that. Yeah, and, and one example of, of one of the problems we're facing, though, is you look at the state of Texas because the Hotel and Hospitality Association got together, and I think it's still this way, but they became exempt from having to have a CPO because they lobbied the state and said, we don't need to have a certified pool operator to run our pools because we can manage it ourselves. But if you're an other facility there, you have to have a certified operator. But it's about lobbying, and that's really what we're facing here. Well, it seems like to me like they may have lobbied away one of their best liability protections that they could have had. They're, now they're totally exposed. Absolutely. And, and uh, they're just not aware of the hazard that they are currently exposing themselves to. So maybe that's what we need to, a place we could start is, is at that level, at the trade association level, uh, to have yeah. our trade associations reach out and work with them and, and start educating them. Um, I've been pushing on this topic uh, quite hard for a, a number of years. Every time I've given a, a talk like this, this topic comes up. The other thing, I don't, it may have even been you that recommended it, but um, here in California, every restaurant has, has a food a health department rating that they have to put in the window, an A, a B, or sometimes right. a C. Um, maybe it's going to take having that, ha, ha, forcing the pools to post similar information um, to, to kind of make them wake up, up and think about it. Oh, I, I'm a big advocate of uh, posting the score. Uh, and uh, I've seen a few 
uh, HOA pools here in, in uh, the Atlanta area that every day they have somebody go out and they write the time and the free chlorine and total chlorine and the pH right on a board. And you can walk up and see that. And uh, maybe that's, you know, I mean, we see that all the time in bathrooms, you know, in, you know, you walk into a Kroger back here in, in uh, uh, Georgia and it will tell you the last time they came in and checked the bathroom. Well, mm -hmm. we could do the exact same thing, uh, uh, particularly with a guarded pool. What was the free chlorine reading the last time they checked it? Right. Well, they hope, I hope they're doing that. They should be doing that. Well, they're, they're checking it because I've watched them do it here an awful lot, but they're not posting the information. That if they posted it, if they were required to post the last inspection and post mm -hmm. the current chlorine reading, everyone would be more informed of it. True. See, a restaurant, if, so if they have to put that B rating or C rating in their window, people turn around and walk away, and they, they actually see people doing that. Um, mm -hmm. If the if pool had, pools had that same thing, then it, it might finally kind of force their hand. Uh, we do an interesting little thing in the news here in the Atlanta area. If a restaurant fails the health inspection, they make the news, uh, the nightly news, immediately after they fail the inspection. They send Ouch. somebody out and interview people walking into the restaurant. They interview the staff if they can. But then after they re-inspect, uh, they will go out and do a follow-up on it. And if we highlighted pool operation to that extent, you wouldn't see green HOA pools and hotel pools on Saturday night anymore because the, the local TV stations would be all over the top of it. Especially in resort areas like ski towns and beach towns, and that would be... Uh... <laughs> A strong, strong incentive. Well, yeah, and, and uh, the the facility that terrifies me more than anything else is exactly the one you described. That is a spa in a beach town or a resort town or you know a ski resort. Or a ski resort. Because what's the typical pattern on that? Uh, a lot of them. A lot of them are you know rented out Friday night, Saturday, and then you check out Sunday. And then they may not be treated until maybe Friday morning. Yeah. All right. That means they probably ran out of chlorine or bromine or whatever they're using sometime Saturday evening. And now you've had Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to develop a biofilm. Mm -hmm. And once you develop that little bit of biofilm, the next thing you get a little bit of pseudomonas in there. And then everybody's favorite germ, Legionella. And Legionella is the only germ that we deal with in this industry that has a reasonably high fatality rate. Uh, if you are over the age of 60, have underlying health conditions, the fatality rate is up to 40% if you get Legionnaire's wow. disease. Wow. Yeah, and I don't remember how many people died in that little fair in uh, North Carolina last fall. It was several people died at a display spa that, right. that they did not really document how well it was treated. So we don't know how well it was treated, but we see incidents like this with spas that are not properly treated. 
and it goes back to my favorite little number again, one ppm of free chlorine is all it takes. <laughs> well, let me, let me ask you a little bit about uh, biofilms. Um, does Legionella require a, bi a biofilm? Can it, can it grow wi without it? Um, Legionella is a wimp. Uh, it is a very poor uh, organism to live by itself. Yeah, I mean, it is a very social organism. And, and so if you do not have a biofilm situation, you are not going to get Legionella. It's easy to kill. Uh, it's relatively easy to kill. But what normally goes on is uh, you fill up your spa. Uh, we don't worry about it in a pool. Pools are not warm enough. You have to have 85 degree water. Uh, yes, we do get that. But you also have to be able to create mist and droplets. Uh, and so if you've got a flat water pool, even though you've got a 95 degree pool, you're not going to have Legionella. But okay. if you get something like a spa, Legionella grows up to like 130, 135 degrees Fahrenheit. So you're not going to kill it in a spa. And it likes organics and it likes biofilm. And all of us have stuck our hand in a spa or two and felt the slime. You cannot develop a better environment to grow large amounts of Legionella than a spa. I mean, that's just, we've developed a system where we can grow it very efficiently. What happens is you fill the spa up, you turn the heater on, somebody forgets to add chlorine or bromine. You get a little bit of pseudomonas growing in there. If you have some other organisms, you start developing a biofilm and then you add a little bit of fresh water in there and it probably is coming right out of the, the fill water. Could be coming out of the dirt because it's everywhere. But right. somewhere you get a little bit of Legionella in there. Now you've got no chlorine. So that means it's swimming around when it comes in, but there's nothing to kill it. And it's gonna grow right to the biofilm and it's gonna to start to grow slowly. And it's gonna be in the background. And maybe a week or so later, you add a little bit of chlorine. So you knock it down in the water, but now it's still in the biofilm. Now you go another week and you forget to add any chlorine or bromine there. And it starts running out of food inside the biofilm. Once it starts running out of food, it leaves the biofilm and it starts swimming. Mm. And then you get in the spa and turn on those nice little jets. Now you're broadcasting it straight up into the air and you inhale it and it goes right into your lungs. Congratulations. You just inoculated <laughs> yourself. So um, it's something that uh, we think about that I do, but I, I think a lot of people may not. Uh, there are spas that get rather infrequent use. Yep. So pools of pool spa combos, if they go months without um, using the spa, then all of a sudden they fire it up and turn on the jet pump. I've seen, I've walked up to these pumps and the basket is full of green and crap and it's got to be in the lines too. Yep. Especially up right at the pump. The minute you turn on that high velocity water, you're going to scrub that stuff off the pipes and right into the spa. So it's important, I think, to run a, the spa jets on a timer and get some water circulated through them every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we, the, you know, stagnant, untreated water is where we're going to get uh, Pseudomonas first. And then if it's warm, then we're going to get the Legionella. 
So biofilm as it starts out may not be that, that toxic, but the longer it's allowed to grow, worse and worse right. gather in it. Okay. Right. That's yeah. It, it's really a matter of, you know, I mean, there's biofilm in every wet venue you can imagine. I mean, I can find biofilm in the best maintained pool, but there's not enough of it to worry about. And if it's got chlorine in it, you know, a few germs come out of it, they're going to be swimming around and they're going to be dead in a few minutes. So it's not, right. you know, I mean, so it's a management thing. You're not going to eliminate germs in a pool. You're going to knock them down to a level that they do not create a health threat. So right. we don't totally disinfect a pool. We manage it. And, you know, I mean, that's what we really are. We're managers of pools and spas. What do you think, um, Roy, what do you think the biggest thing that we're doing, maybe, if, and I don't maybe you could talk from the residential side if you can, if not, the commercial side is fine. What do you think is the biggest mistake we're making as an industry in regards to preventing these kinds of things from happening? What, 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 are, what are we doing as, a, as, as the biggest kind of mistake, if you will? That makes sense? Yeah. Um, is it just not having enough disinfectant in the water? I mean, what is it? What is it? Probably, you know, from a health viewpoint, it, it well, we make two mistakes. Uh, one of them is really not adjusting our service schedule to the use schedule, you know, and we were talking about the hotels and, you know, I mean, you, you really need somebody there when you have those big surges in there, you know, and, you know, uh, I live in a, a community here uh, in the outskirts of Atlanta and we've got our own HOA pool and, uh, and they came, they come in last year, they came in on Fridays and would, would test the water. Well, we'd always have our big surges on, you know, Friday nights, it was fine. Saturdays would be fine. Sundays, it was still okay. But think about it, come Monday, Tuesday, were they coming back? Now, county law kind of says you're supposed to come back twice a week, but a lot of service companies are not coming back twice a week. And all right, I'm touching a sore spot. I know it. People are saying I can't afford to run two service calls a week to the same community. Well, if we are not able to maintain a minimum of one PPM, and really I like two PPM of free chlorine in every pool, in particularly residential pools, uh, we've, we've got to figure out a way to do that. And, and that's a huge issue. But then there's another issue that I'm going to go off the track on you a little bit. Uh, and the service company that we had here last year, they were running just a standard color comparator kit. You know, you, you know, you add the reagent, you hold it up to the sun or, you know, uh, preferably to the north light, not to the sun. And you say, okay, yeah, it looks like it's about 5 ppm. Okay, what was the maximum color block on their color comparator? It was 5. So what did the logbook say every week? 5, 5, 5, 5, 5. So, you know, naturally being the geek that I am, I'd pull a water sample, take it into the bio lab and run it, and it would be off range. So we'd pull out an FAS kit, 23 ppm. What does the logbook say? Five. There's a little difference between 23 ppm and five ppm. <laughs> okay, so 
they were they were just writing down the maximum block. They didn't understand that sometimes you've got to do dilutions on there. And this goes back to what we're talking about, about the CPO. We don't always understand what we're testing on here. So mm -hmm. they came out the next day, threw some thiosulfate in. So what was the concentration at the end of that day? Zero. Five? No, zero. <laughs> zero. Was the pool open? Yes. Okay. All right. So naturally I complained again. So they came out Crank the chlorine back up. What was it that time? 29. We went through several weeks of this because they were still using the same color comparator. And I don't think their technician had been through the proper training, but anyway, but it's like knowing when you have an issue and how to train it. One of the most effective tools we have that we don't always utilize is called a cell phone. In a situation like this, if the guy would have just said, yeah, I'm getting the same reading every time and called his supervisor, his supervisor had an FAS DPD kit, came out, realized what the problem was, and they got it uh, corrected. But it took me three phone calls over four days to get them to adjust the water. And so realizing that not every problem is as simple and knowing when to just, guys, sometimes you just got to say, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, and call one of your buddies. Yeah, you're going to take some grief over it, but it's going to save you the embarrassment of finding out that you've been doing it wrong for a while. And there's a lot of online forums right now that were uh, pool service techs of all levels of experience can either uh, post a question or, or give help and, and um, yeah, they may bust your chops a little bit, but, but there's a lot of uh, free advice available out there that, that uh, there's, right. there's really, if you're servicing pools and taking that kind of responsibility, uh, get, be a part of one of these communities. There, there's a tremendous amount of help out there for you. Right, exactly. It's like, uh, you know, when the, I end up, ended up taking over control of this pool this year. And when I cracked that uh, filter open, I called a buddy. I said, uh, let me ask you a couple of questions on here. And got the answer right on the phone right there. Put the pool, uh, the filter back together and was back in business in about five minutes. Was that Wayne? Did you call Wayne? Oh, heck no. I'm not going to call <laughs> Wayne. <laughs> he calls me. So another thing about And DPD I know this wisecrack is going to cost me beer, Wayne, in case you're listening to it. So I know that. <laughs> Another thing about DPD reagents uh, that I've seen with the uh, the liquid DPD is that when you get high chlorine readings like you're talking about, it'll bleach out and look like you have no chlorine. So you can. Yep, I hear a number of stories every year of somebody coming back and they finally had to do the dilutions on there, and they're up in the 60, 70, 80 ppm range when the feeder was crazy. On them. Yeah, and that and that's the other thing that people recognize that dull, funky chloramine smell, but too much chlorine also has a smell. It's kind of a stinging, bright, kind of burns your eyes. Um, yep. So that, that, ought yeah. a, that ought to be a tell right there. Yeah. That eye burn there, that, that, that's kind of the giveaway for me. And I think to those forums you were talking about, you guys online, there's probably five or six real good ones out there on Facebook and others. And literally, if you put a question out there, you probably have 15 responses in 10 minutes. Yeah. Now, the problem is you don't know if any of those responses are 
you know, who you're listening to necessarily because they're just somebody out in the, and as I call it, the stratosphere, they're just somebody out there. If you don't know them, you don't know if they're giving you good advice or not. So I think having somebody trustworthy, and we talk, Dave and I talk about this a lot, Roy, having mentors on the building side, on the electrical side, on the plumbing side, on, on the service side, anything where if you have a question and you don't really know how to solve it or answer it, that you can call your expert or your person that's your mentor and you can ask the question and get an answer right away. Yeah. That's important. Are there new things that the CDC has, has brought out? I mean, I know you've been on the, the different committees and things like that, but as far as we, we, we pretty much have determined that the water isn't necessarily going to be the place where we have to worry about, uh, you know, the, the current virus, but sanitizing surfaces is a pretty important because, I mean, I think most of the commercial pools are closed, at least in California. I'm not sure that's around the country, but um, what, is, what is the recommendation on keeping the spread of it, you know, if you're outside of the pool or on, on the deck or, you know, what, what do we do making sure that we're doing there? We, we really haven't, as an industry, begun to uh, talk about that. And so uh, the good news is, Michelle, you're leading the charge on this one. So this is the first time the topics come up that I know of in public on here. Uh, some really? I'm surprised by that. Right. Uh, but I, I think that ought to be part of the health department uh, requirements and ratings, that the bathroom surfaces are cleaned regularly, that the decks are washed down, that the, the uh, deck furniture um, all of those things are a potential vector for spreading things. Well, one of the topics that came, started coming up years ago is the methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, uh, uh, MRSA, MRSA. And, and, you know, there's conversations back and forth about whether that's spread in water or not. And it's not spread in water. There's, there's never been a case of Staphylococcus uh, as a recreational water illness in the history of the CDC data. Uh, but that's not to say it is not spread at pools because if somebody is, you know, got a case of skin MRSA and they're sitting on a lounge chair and they get up and somebody else sits down on it. Now you have live staphylococcus bacteria sitting on it. So, I mean, we disinfect and sanitize equipment at our gym, our gyms and our health clubs, but we're not doing it around the pools. Uh, now, cruise ships are pretty good about this, but we're not worrying about it about the pool. So, yes, disinfection around the deck is a very important thing if you have it, particularly if you have a very large population that's coming and going. And uh, uh, some neighborhood pools, for instance, I mean, you can see 150, 200 people turn through that uh, pool uh, between one o'clock and three o'clock of an afternoon. Yeah. Well, maybe that's the one good thing that'll come out of this whole uh, kind of scare that we're having right now, or uh, maybe it's a wake-up call, um, is to get people thinking more in terms of hygiene. Um, if you're using a commercial pool, more than just dipping your test strips in the water, look around and see who you're sharing that, that water with. Um, also, bring, bring some sanitizing wipes. Use hand, hand sanitizer regularly. Uh, wipe that furniture down before you get on it. And, and uh, maybe it'll just start uh, some good habits that'll continue on that'll, that'll help us in the future. Well, uh, if you stop and think about it, a few years ago, you did not see sanitizing wipes when you walked into a grocery store. Now, I mean, I bet you 50% of the people in my neighborhood when we walk into the, one of the local grocery stores, you're pulling out the, the little thing of wipes there next to the grocery carts and wiping the handle down. 
And this week, if you're going into the grocery store, everybody's doing it. Everybody. But you're right. Uh, around the pool, this is something we should be talking about. But this is really, you know, leading into the, the current situation with their outbreak virus. This is really my only real concern with the virus around our pools and spas is, are we contaminating the surfaces and exposing other people if our pools and spas are still open? Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and back on that topic, um, a study came out, it was, uh, came out of the uh, National Institutes of Health and CDC, if I recall, came out uh, Thursday or Friday last week. And it talks about how long this virus survives. And some of the viruses, I'm going to flip over and get my, make sure I got my notes right, uh, on uh, several kinds of plastic and on stainless steel, the droplets that they were laying on there still had viable viruses on there well after 24 hours. Wow. So that means if somebody was in a, a pool or a spa and sitting in the lounge chairs and they were coughing or sneezing, and that's where the virus is coming from, the area probably within six or seven feet of them could be contaminated with virus for at least 24 hours. Wow. Okay. And then you put your hand on the chair where they were sitting, you know, you put your arm down to rest and you get it on your hand and then you wipe your face yep. and there you go. And you've now inoculated yourself. Yeah. Dave, did you yeah. have a comment? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that, uh, that, that's fine. That was, that was a great point. Uh, and you know, the, the point that I wanted to make on this one is, um, and I've been uh, consulting a little bit with some float centers, you know, the 30% uh, the salt solutions and the sensory deprivation pods uh, on there and got a whole series of questions coming in from them over the last few years and uh, been doing a fair amount of work on hard surface disinfections myself. Almost nobody, almost nobody knows how to use a disinfectant correctly. Because if you turn the package around, there's this little thing that most people have never seen before. It's called directions for use. <laughs> I, don't I was read expecting those. a really, really yeah. big time thing. I was listening very close. I had my ear up to the screen, Roy. Yeah. This is a top secret that nobody <laughs> really knows. And you know, and it tells you whether you have to pre-clean or not. And it's like, <laughs> and how fast? All right, I'm 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 going to do something I'm trained not to do, but I'm going to do it anyway because I'm going to owe you anyway for this one, Michelle. Michelle, if I were to use the wipe on the grocery cart, how long would it take to kill the viruses? Twenty-four hours. No, because you <laughs> didn't read the directions, did you, Michelle? I didn't. I Actually, did not read the directions. That is the no, truth. I mean, when we get the wipes or we get a hard surface disinfectant, we've all got the stuff around our house, you know, for cleaning yeah, kitchens. Right, right. And, you know, I mean, you chop up the chicken and you got to disinfect the counter. Okay, we all know that. All right. The directions on use on almost all those things are going to tell you how many minutes it has to stay moist in order to kill. Oh, interesting. Okay. Interesting. And if it dries out before that, you're supposed to reapply. So you're supposed to wipe 
and make sure. And it usually between five and 10 minutes is how long it's supposed to stay moist. And, and that's the reason that we know that is these tests are done under very controlled conditions. Uh, it's a very complicated test and thank God I pay other people to do it for me because I never want to run one of these tests again. Uh, but it's like if another division in uh, my company makes these kind of disinfecting materials. And so I manage those contracts that do that. And we spend thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars running these types of tests on there. And you know how long it has to stay there. And these studies have to be done under detailed supervision, an audit statement is issued, and then that whole data package has to go into the EPA. And if the EPA doesn't like it, you can't say it kills anything. So when you see one of these hard surface disinfectants, it is a verified claim. It kills those germs on that label. And it does it exactly the way it is specified. And so when we're going out and disinfecting these things, that's what we need to be doing. But, you know, follow uh, directions, follow the directions. But, you know, I've never uh, looked at the back of a, one of those little wipes before. I've never, ever looked at the back to see what the directions were. Yeah. <laughs> it just seems uh, like it's a no brainer. You take it out of the package and you wipe stuff down. Yeah, that's no, not I, the case, I, huh, Roy? I think I'm going to put a new question on the uh, CPO test in here on there. <laughs> Have you ever read the directions? And it's like instant failure. If you've never, right. it's going to be failure. Or that they're only, or put a question on there that's only on the directions of something. Yeah. And if they didn't read it, they can't answer the question correctly. Well, um, and but there, there's one thing I wanted to talk on here, and because there's a lot of confusion on on, on the virus, and, and the formal name of that virus is SARS-CoV-2, and the disease it's called is COVID-19, and and we kind of use these terms interchangeably, but we're still talking about the same thing, but. Some people started saying that uh, uh, this was a manufactured virus because some people already had coronavirus claims on the label. Well, yes, not for this type of coronavirus, but when you test a hard service disinfectant, you pick the germs that you want to claim. And coronavirus is one of the causes of the common cold, but this one's a different virus. Totally, totally, totally different. The world had never seen this thing until maybe six months ago. I think it's really around the 1st of November is when we think this thing evolved on here. But some people had already gone out and tested against other kind of coronaviruses, so their labels say coronavirus is on. But other people haven't gotten around to it yet. But there is a list coming out from the EPA, and it's called the Emerging Pathogens List. And it is a list of materials on there that's a, that if you've tested on these other viruses, these products will also work on the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So it's an emerging pathogens list. People have confused this. So it's like, we haven't developed the full data package on it, but we've been working with other viruses. So we are reasonably confident that following the directions that are written on the back of the label <laughs> will kill the virus. And, and emphasizing following the directions for not only just killing this, but it's like, you know, things like algicides also have directions on the label. It tells you how much to use. And sometimes we don't do a good job of following those directions either. 
<laughs> I was going to say that's very ahead, true on the residential pool service side of things. <laughs> um, and the other thing that they don't do is is measure. They just sort of eyeball it and throw in what they think it needs and. Yeah, the, the old routine of walking up with the uh, DPD reagent and dropping five drops in the water and seeing how fast the pink goes away is not pick a, exactly Pick a random number between one and ten. There's your chlorine <laughs> reading. Yeah. Hey, so yeah. my question is about gloves, Roy. Right. So Dave has mentioned to me that, you know, potentially there'll be customers that ask their service guys to wear gloves in the backyard when they come to their pool. Isn't and the glove mask. the same thing as your end masks? Isn't the glove pretty much the same thing as your finger in that if you touch something that has it on it, now it's on the glove. And then you're touching something else with that glove that has it on it. And so you're still spreading it even if you have gloves on. Well, uh, there's two aspects that, that we need to talk about here. One of them is, is, is the social distancing aspect uh, on there. And the other one is the psychology of the social distancing aspect. And uh, if we think about... Uh, service guys in a residential pool you're outdoors yeah you're outdoors so you're not likely to get a respiratory infection if you're a service guy operating outdoors correct uh, and so even though there's somebody there as long as they're out of the pool and you're testing the water and you're more than six feet away both parties is, both parties are fine right both yeah. parties are fine. So neither one of them is going to get something from the other one. And as long as they're not in the water when you're, you know, shock dosing or something in there, you're not getting a chemical exposure. All right. All right. So that's not an issue. All right. So outdoors, you don't need the mask. Do the gloves do anything? From a health viewpoint, no. From a psychological viewpoint, maybe it makes the customer feel better. You know, but we're seriously running out of nitrile gloves in the United yeah. States right now. And so uh, I would prefer not to use them and save them for the, the our healthcare Medical professionals personnel. that actually need them on here. But, you know, it, it's sometimes you kind of have to follow the customer lead on that. You have come Dave Dave, Dave, couldn't you just disinfect the surfaces as you leave? Instead of using gloves, you could just disinfect according to the instructions on the back of the package. You could be disinfecting as you leave and wiping things down that they may touch and they, that it shouldn't be an issue. Right. Right. So it, it's a matter of common sense in here. Uh, we're, we're in a psychological panic at this point. Uh, yeah, now, good point. But at the other hand, the worst case scenario says we're going to have millions and millions and millions and millions of people that are exposed to this virus. Uh, we don't know how bad it's going to be, but some of the numbers are very frightening. They uh, are. And, you know, uh, the health implications of the virus are quite serious. And uh, this is a, a new virus. It's not nearly as, you know, we keep hearing about the 1918 Spanish flu that killed between 50 and 60 million people. We're probably not going to be that way, but it's going to be a whole lot worse than the 1968 Hong Kong flu. And I remember that one as a kid. Uh, we had 40% of the students sick in school uh, and about the same number of teachers. So it's going to be somewhere between these two, 
but this is a serious virus. We need to take it serious, but social distancing, using disinfectants on hard surfaces that have been exposed is a really, really good idea. Yeah. I, you, you, you've given me a, a, a terrific idea. Um, one of the biggest problems that residential service guys have is the customer going down to the equipment pad and fiddling with things and changing things. And so now we can tell them that the best way for you to stay healthy is not us wearing gloves. It's for you to stay away from your equipment pad and let us handle it. Uh, yeah, we know how many uh, residential owners are become experts by fiddling with equipment. Yeah, we've all been down that road before. Uh, yeah. I'm still constantly amazed by, uh, I think, 30% of the duct tape sold in the United States ends up on pool plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought duct tape was the solution. That's what I've been hearing for years, but maybe not. Well, I, I think you have to lay on about a half inch of silicone and then wrap it in duct tape to actually get it to work. <laughs> There's a guy on an infomercial on TV that's selling something that's supposed to be even better now, but... The duct tape? Uh, uh, <laughs> yes. We've all seen those commercials, and hopefully uh, we're not going to see too much of that around the pool. Hopefully we'll actually... Right, no. People make a phone call, and somebody will come out and actually fix the leak instead of slop it over. <laughs> well, if I've learned nothing else, Dave, I don't know about you, but I've learned two things. Follow the directions on the back of the package, especially for even those little wipes, which you think are no-brainers. And one... PPM of free chlorine. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you think it's five PPM with a color comparator, you might want to double check it with another method because it could actually be 23 PPM of free chlorine. <laughs> yes, there you go. And that's something I'm a firm believer in is investing in the best test kit you can possibly get your hands on. And uh, I'm, I'm thinking... Uh, I would love to start seeing FAS DPD start to be more of the standard in our industry. Oh, that I, I'm an absolute huge fan of FAS kits on there. Yes, they're more expensive, but they're much more accurate uh, on here. Uh, uh, I carry two or three different test kits with me when I'm in the field. Uh, and I, if I've got a question, I always double check it with a different manufacturer. Yep. Yeah. Anything else from the CDC we need to know before we uh, sign off, Roy? Well, the, the a couple of things I wanted to leave on here because I, I want to really make certain that everybody understands just how serious this, this disease is. Yes. And I know there's a lot of pushback on closing down businesses in here. But uh, a couple of figures that have just come out uh, comparing the seasonal flu to this disease, the hospitalization rate for uh, uh, SARS-CoV-2 is 10 times what it is for the flu. Right, because of the respiratory issues, right? Because of the respiratory issues. Yeah. And that currently about 40% of the hospitalizations, 40% are people between the age of 20 and 55 years old. This is not just an old farts disease like I am. I mean, so it's like, yes, if you are a young buck running around in your 20s or 30s, you could get this disease too. You need to take it seriously. And, and you could be hospitalized. And you, you know, could like be hospitalized. Kids in Florida that are out there partying right now. And if, if you've ever seen the hospitalization bill of somebody is in ICU oh or in isolation, you're talking 
potentially several hundred thousand dollars for a medical Yeah, it's health. a big deal, for it's sure. It's a big deal. And so this is a very serious disease, but we can get through it if we follow the guidance, take it seriously, and then just use common sense when we're around. Keep six feet apart in here. Uh, yeah. Wipe things down or contaminated, you know, and, you know, use some common sense read the directions on the products that you're dealing with. Makes sense to me. Dave, do you have Great any advice? Words? Yeah, that was terrific advice. It's, uh, I think there's all of us are trying to process all this information and decide what to do with it. And um, it's, it's good to hear from somebody who knows what they're talking about the, the really, well, uh, the, to tell us to take this more seriously. Well, the, the one thing I also wanted to, to mention on here is, you know, we're, we're seeing the shutdown of everything except essential services. Yeah. All right. In my opinion, we need to classify pool and spa service as an essential service, whether that be a commercial or whether that be residential. Right. Because, I mean, I'm in Atlanta. It's over 80 degrees today. We're already in mosquito season. Right. We're north of Florida. It's hotter in Florida. Southern right. Texas is already in mosquito season. So those areas where we're talking about essential business, we need, we need to control the pools. If they go green, they're going to have drownings and you're not going to know about it. Mm -hmm. In California, in the residential communities, I don't know when the schools are going to reopen. Where right. are the kids going to be going? It's like we need to classify those residential pools as well as commercial pools as essential. But while we're doing it, we need to maintain that social distance. And so all of our collective efforts need to be to ensure the continued safe and healthy operation of the pools, as well as the safe and healthy operation of ourselves. Absolutely, Roy. Thank you for that. that Great that, way to end it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Thank and you and so Michelle's much. organization, CPSA, is doing a lot right now, very lines of helping to educate uh, yeah, public people health in charge that, 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 yes. that the truth of what you just said. Yeah. We put that out just so you know, we put that, we put that out there on Tuesday afternoon. Wednesday afternoon, we had a press release sent out to all of the public health officials and the regulators in the state. And we did pretty much get pool service. I mean, I think they already had that in their mindset, so I can't take, we can't take all the credit but they um, have identified it as an essential service. Now we, that certainly doesn't guarantee that you won't get stopped by, you know, if they, if it gets crazier by a police officer or a guard member or something like that. But if you have the documents, I recommended them putting the documents in their truck right. press release, as well as um, the PHTA put out a document about um, a customer message to the customers right? and have both of those documents in your truck with you. So that if you do get pulled over, you know, sometimes they don't, one hand doesn't talk to the other hand. So the, exactly. even though the County says it, doesn't mean everybody in law enforcement or anybody that may be monitoring or enforcing understands it. So, right. you know, we'll see what happens, but that's what we're doing certainly in California. Yeah. And, and we're still uh, too early for, you know, the States North of uh, Georgia here to start opening up, but it's like down here along the, the Gulf coast and down here, we're already in early pool season because we're going to have an early yeah. warm spring. Uh, and, uh, I really do suspect that we're going to have extended weeks of kids out of school. And Absolutely. The, the, it's going to be till the summer. My guess is they won't open again. They'll just be go on summer break. Uh, Most of what of, I'm hearing is that the schools are closed for the year. Yeah. 
Oh well, wow, the whole year? Yeah, my I uh, well, we know we know the universities down here in Georgia are closed for the rest of the semester. Yeah. Yeah. And uh so uh, uh, we're kind of on a week by week basis on a lot of the school districts here, but uh, we all need to be healthy and wise for the next few weeks. Absolutely. Well, good words of advice, Roy. Thank you so much. It makes, you know, we're all trying to figure out what to do to, to keep our businesses open and, and do things that we have to do. The construction side is a little bit different because they don't have that essential service component necessarily. At least they're not classified as that, although we're working on that as well. Um, having big holes in the backyard is not a good thing. You definitely need to make sure that that's safe and, and, they have the social distance thing going for them as well if they use work in small groups. So we're trying to work on that also. The more businesses that stay open and are able to do business, it helps with the impact on the economy and on taxes and everything else. So, Absolutely. you know, we just need to do everything we can if it's safe. Now I'm not prom promoting, you know, it not being safe, but if they're able to work and like you said, and, and uh, keep the social distance while they're doing it, let's keep those people working, you know? Absolutely. So, Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Dave, do you have any final, why don't you end it with your final comments or thoughts? Roy, this is absolutely great. I, I really appreciate you doing this for us. Um, we, we would love to keep you on as a resource. If you uh, come across things or things that you think we should know or the industry should know, um, keep in touch with Michelle. Anything you'd like to send her that we can help disseminate with our uh, Facebook page and website. We'd be glad to do it, but we just appreciate uh, what you do and, and the fact that you took time to do this today. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to share a few thoughts. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thank Roy. Roy. Be safe in Atlanta, okay? Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye now. A new voice in the industry, a resource for all, education for you. This is Pool Pro Podcast build relationships, and share important news as we get ready for our next backyard adventure. Pool Pro Podcast, backyard adventures are better together. Please take a moment to share, like, and review our content with all of those that would be interested.